Welcome to Book Club, presented by Thunder Thighs and Lightning. Join us for our foray into podcast meets audiobook meets story time at the library meets my lifelong dream of reading out loud to people. For our first book club selection, we will be sharing the Harlequin romance novel, Country Proud, written by number one New York Times bestselling author, Linda Lale Miller. The TTL book club is a passion project of our podcast that we are doing simply for our love of pocket novels, and our opinions in no way represent the author, publisher, or the copywriter. Lucky you, for this book club, pants are not required. Chapter 8. Bryn watched from her apartment's front windows, coffee cup in hand, as several police cars sped past, streaks of light and sound. It was almost a parade. She reflected on the calm surface of her mind, although there was certainly nothing celebratory about the scene. Beneath, where the deeper waters ran, Bryn's spirit churned with alarm. Where was Eli? That was her most urgent thought. As rapidly as the vehicles moved, she saw and registered each insignia. The Creek Small Municipal Force, the Montana State Police, the Sheriff's Department, not Eli's SUV, but one of the cruisers. Where was he? The two rigs bringing up the rear moved at a slow, solemn pace. The van marked Wild Horse County Coroner and the ambulance. No lights, no sirens, no hurry. Bryn bit her lower lip and pressed her face closer to the breath-fogged glass, straining to see farther down the street. But the window frame and the sign next door... Nellie's nails. <laughs> That's where I got my nails done. <laughs> Old Nell's place. Blocked her view. And that was when the first what if struck her. What if the call all those police were answering was officer down? And what if that officer is Eli? What and if his he's fence post? And his just big old fence post dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she's really concerned about. Oh God, did his boner go away? Did his boner go? I hope it's okay. I hope he hasn't been shot in the boner. What if he's been shot or stabbed or God knows what else in the line of duty? And that coroner's van is for him. Sickness surged, scalding into the back of Bryn's throat. And for a long and treacherous moment, she actually thought she might faint. She set her cup down and grasped the wide windowsill until her head stopped spinning and her breathing slowed enough to rule out hyperventilation. At her feet, poor Waldo wailed piteously, aware of her distress and frightened by it. Bryn scooped the cat up, a dizzying process all by itself, and snuggled him for a few moments. It's okay, she murmured. Everything's okay, little guy, I promise. Waldo probably wasn't convinced, given that his ruff was damp with Bryn's tears, but what's a ruff? It's like his, like, the back of the neck, like, where the mom I thought that was out. called the scruff. I think it's called a, according to Linda, it's a ruff. <laughs> Linda. Linda. Given that his ruff was damp with Bryn's <laughs> tears by that point, but he stopped yowling at least, and that was a mercy. As she showered, she wondered who she could call. Sarah, Melba Summers, Connie Sue, Hildebrand, the day receptionist at the sheriff's headquarters. Bryn hadn't come to a decision even when she was dressed in her quote-unquote day-off outfit of jeans and an old college sweatshirt. Bailey's was closed on New Year's Day, though the cleanup crew was downstairs making plenty of noise as they worked. One of my favorite things is that we're on chapter eight and it's been like three days. That's awesome. And they're like already in love with boners and everything. I was just going to say, the fence post situation's already been pretty strong. I mean, <laughs> that is small towns for you, though. You don't have a lot of like... Time stands still. Yeah. When you're swirled up in a rom-com. I'm glad she went to college. Good for you, Bryn. 
Figuring one of them might know what was happening, she hurried down to the restaurant's kitchen, where the commercial dishwashers were running at capacity, and steam from the sinks coated every surface in condensation. There were no people... Wait, excuse me? There were no people in evidence, so Bryn proceeded to the dining and bar area up front. Her crew, three waitresses and two cooks, all being paid double time, were standing on the sidewalk, huddled against the cold, talking on cell phones and gesturing to each other. Again, Bryn felt sick. A single name thrummed inside her like a second heartbeat. Eli. I was going to do that like a heartbeat. Eli. 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 <laughs> Eli. It's in here three times. She made it to the door, called everybody back inside where it was warm. None of them had bothered with a coat. What's happening, she demanded, her gaze moving from one face to another. The consensus? Nobody knew. Bryn's knees threatened to give out. Miranda, her second mother, took her by one arm and dragged her to a chair. Put your head between your knees, Bryn, Miranda commanded, once she'd been seated. Harry, run to the storage, clo storage closet and get a brown paper bag. Okay, has anyone ever handed you a brown paper bag when you were having a panic attack? I don't know, but I think I'd just immediately just throw up into it. Right. Like, there, you know, Could like, you imagine just satchel. breathing into that? Yeah, no, I would not breathe into a sack unless I was vomiting into it. <laughs> then I would definitely not breathe yeah, into that sack. Yeah, I would sack. be holding my nose the whole time. <laughs> I'm all right, Bren protested, but weakly. Her breathing had gone fast and shallow again, just as it had upstairs when she'd first realized Eli's SUV wasn't in the speeding convoy. You're not all right, Miranda argued, and then she laid one strong hand to Bryn's nape and forced her head down. Now do as I say. Miranda had worked for Bryn's parents for some 20 years by the time the business changed hands. She'd helped raise the Bailey's only child. In fact, and she, oh, sorry. She'd helped raise the Bailey's only child, in fact, and she had a certain authority because of that. That and her naturally bossy nature. Someone brought a glass of ice cold water after the blood had returned to Bryn's brain and she sipped it gratefully, embarrassed by her behavior, by what she'd revealed, that she had a thing for Sheriff Eli Garrett. Most likely nobody was surprised, however. No one who had witnessed that midnight kiss couldn't have real doubts. When Eli's SUV finally shot past the restaurant like a belated bullet, Bryn gave a great gasping sob of relief and Miranda took her into her arms and hugged her hard. There now, you see, that man of yours is just fine, she said. That man of yours. Oh, no, no. She could not love Eli Garrett. She simply could not. Except she did, because three days had passed. <laughs> and that big old boner. That big old boner. She'd loved Eli in high school. Okay, kindergarten. But nobody needed to know that. She loved him now, and she'd loved him for all the years in between. She was doomed. That's. That's a stretch. That's... <laughs> I thought you were going to say that's romantic. That's, <laughs> that's some that's bullshit. All right. Oh, Bryn. About time you got here, Melba told Eli when he reached the vacant lot behind Russ Schaefer's motel. Melba was a tall, slender black woman with short, dark hair and brown. I don't, oh, golden brown eyes. I was like, I don't know why I just said brown there. Golden brown eyes. She'd met Dan when they were both in the Navy and kept pace with him from basic training right on through the SEAL program. They'd married while Dan was in law school and Melba was walking a beat on the main streets of a major city, had two kids, both girls, and split up when Dan graduated and entered the FBI. 
Evidently tired of city life and possibly because she needed a place to hole up and lick her wounds, Melba had eventually returned to the creek, her hometown, with her young daughters looking for work. She'd purchased her late grandmother's house where she'd been raised, applied for a job with the sheriff's department, gotten it, and had rapidly proved her worth. She was smart and fit and so far beyond competent that there wasn't a word for it. I feel like they're only saying that because she's a woman. Linda. Once when she and Eli were on a long, boring stakeout together, Melba, who usually played her proverbial cards close, had answered the question, question Eli had wanted to ask but hadn't. I don't know that any woman ever loved a man more than I love Dan Summers, she'd said quietly, almost brokenly. All right, time out. What kind of long stakeout were they on? In the small town. This town of like 14 people. They were watching a child's drug deal. Uh, oh, wait. Yeah. What, what did you call the bad guy? Um, I don't remember. Ice. Ice. Yeah, they were watching <laughs> Ice. Yes. It's they been a while since we recorded, you guys. Ice was selling counterfeit Nikes in the parking lot. Um, Melba went on, but nothing was ever enough for that man. He aced the SEAL program, so he had to get a law degree. That didn't suit him. He graduated at the top of his class and had job offers from all over the country, you know. It wasn't exciting enough. So when he joined the FBI, I figured it was time to get off that merry-go-round because he wasn't ever going to stop reaching, reaching for the next thing. So he's going to sit in the fucking office and push papers. Right. Hearing. 100%. Yeah. Do your research, Linda. <laughs> he, he couldn't just settle down someplace, work a job he could be proud of, be a husband and a father. Oh, hell no, not Dan Summers. He was too big, too big a hot shot for that. Well, I wanted to be a cop. That's all I ever wanted to be, besides a wife and a mother, and do right by the people I was hired to serve and protect. So I came on home to the creek, and here I mean to stay. You were a SEAL too, Melba, a woman. Isn't being a deputy sheriff kind of anticlimactic after that? Melba had laughed her smoky torch singer's laugh. Anticlimactic? She'd mocked. Isn't it just like a man to think of everything in terms of climaxes? for shame mm -hmm. she'd pause then to enjoy her own joke for a while i have two growing girls to care for eli and getting that right is challenge enough for me over here melba said snapping eli back to the present moment in the lonely expanse of hard ground behind the motel he followed her lead though it was unnecessary because a gang of forensics people crowded around the body the victim was had been a young woman probably in her early 20s she wasn't wearing a coat, but her outfit, jeans, a long sleeve blue t-shirt, and a pair of knockoff Uggs. I told was you. Was that you? I, I, it was me. Was <laughs> that you? Were you the inspiration? I had the inspiration. <laughs> Can't be proud. First of all, they are real Uggs. Cat They're just Carol. real dirty. <laughs> They're schmugs. Her outfit was intact. <laughs> a small, tidy bullet hole told the tale. She'd been shot in the throat. Well, that's rude. Her dyed blonde hair spilled okay. around her face. Fuck off. Congealed blood nearly obliterating the color. I, Eli Stump. I feel like you just described me right now. This is you. Oh, my God. Let's see if it gets more you. Okay. Oh, I Spoiler alert, it does. <laughs> Looking at this girl, a stranger, he felt sick, not just with revulsion, but with sorrow. Sorrow for all she'd miss out on, dead at such a young age, and beneath that dark emotion lay an even darker one, a cold, quiet rage. We're catching this case, Melba informed Eli briskly, outside the city limits and all that. The staters are just sharing their resources. 
Eli knew all that without being told, but he didn't point that out. Melba was thorough and she liked to make sure all the boxes were checked. He stepped closer to the body and crouched, careful not to touch anything. The coroner and the state's people were finishing up, moving away. He studied her. She looked vaguely familiar somehow, and yet he couldn't place her. Any ID, he asked Melba. Nope, Melba replied. Who found her? When? Cord Hollister came the answer. He and Russ Schaefer came out here early this morning. Said they were thinking this thaw might hold out long enough for them to get the bulldozers in, clear some space, maybe even dig a few foundations. They were walking around and Russ literally stumbled across this poor girl. Eli stood, shut his eyes for a moment, imagining the shock of that discovery. Russ, the son of two alcoholics, and Shally. Shally? Shally Hollister's foster brother had been working hard over the last several months to get his act together. Russ had never been a criminal, really, just a very depressed asshole with awkward social skills. Well. Is that Dave? (laughs) (laughs) Is this book about us? This book is actually a different story of about our lives. A loner by choice. As a kid, he'd been a bully. Wait, why am I the dead girl? You're going to learn. Okay. As <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you dead. You're just going to figure I'm just it out. Learn. You will learn today. As a kid, he'd been a bully. Eli had a run-in or two with the guy himself, but these days he was a decent enough dude, or so it seemed. Russ appeared to be trying anyway, partnering with Cord, refurbishing that old motel, striving to make something of his life, which was a hell of a lot more than Eli could have said for, say, Freddie Lansing. Or that worthless father of his. That's uh, Ice. Yeah. Ice and Ice Senior. Anybody have a guess who she was? Talk to Russ, Melba said a little sadly. Oh, believe me, Eli replied. I will. Melba caught his arm as he moved away. Eli, what? Don't jump, don't jump to any conclusions, okay? Yeah, Russ found the body and that makes him a person of interest, but he is out here with Cord, a community leader known for his integrity and one of your best friends. Suspect. I know exactly. Oh, best friends with the sheriff. Suspect. Murder. <laughs> Eli didn't answer, though he acknowledged Melba's words with a crisp nod. He figured, what's a crisp nod to you? Like this. <clears throat> That's the sound effect of it, <laughs> just for all of our listeners, because you were able to see my nod. So it wasn't I even that crisp, sound. it was like a bobblehead. <laughs> That's the sound it makes. <laughs> He figured she was thinking Russ wouldn't have brought such a credible witness as Cord along if he'd killed the girl and then staged a discovery. His reasoning varied slightly from that of his sharp deputy. Murder a girl, pretend to find her, bring along a man everyone in the county, if not the whole state, knew and respected. Be shocked and horrified. Russ was standing near Cord's truck and Cord was beside him, one hand resting on the man's broad shoulder. After years of obesity, Russ had begun working out, eating right. He was no, oh, I feel sad that I don't know who this is. Adonis, A-D-O-N-I-S. Is that like a Greek god? Adonis. Adonis? Is he hot? I don't know. He was, what's his fence post like? Yeah, I want to know about it. He was no Adonis, but he wasn't overweight anymore either. Just solid. Who's the girl, Eli asked without preamble when he reached Russ and Cord. Cord looked irritated, but he didn't speak. She... I don't know for sure, Russ stumbled. His eyes were red and his nose was running and he wiped it unceremoniously on the sleeve of his flannel shirt. She looks a lot like like my sister, Beth Ann. Beth Ann Schaefer, Eli knew, had run away from home years ago. As far as he knew, no one had seen or heard from her since. A relative, Eli pressed, though not so abruptly this time. 
Beth Ann's daughter, maybe, Ruff, Russ said, sniffling. Looking understandably miserable. Kind of reminds me of when Carly showed up, looking so much like Reba. We're going to need a cheek swab, Russ, Eli said. Stop by the coroner's office as soon as you can manage it. Okay. You and I both know that, like, listening to, like, actual true crime, which this is a Harlequin romance novel. Why is it a true crime also? But anyways, that, like, in a town of 400 people, if you get a cheek swab, that's going to take nine months to process. Nine months to process, and most likely that cheek swab is going to come back that everyone has either has their bodily fluids in her mouth or they're all related. Right. Yeah. Or that it's, it's like the really... chain of custody has been horrible. Uh-huh. There's yeah. not. There's you can't just, there's no coroner's office where you can just swab your cheek and do like a me, quick I'm DNA test and painted yeah. pony Creek. No, no. You have to mail that shit in. Is this in Montana or Wyoming? I can't remember. I think so. I don't know. I can't remember. That's not a real place. It doesn't matter. Russ merely nodded. <laughs> Can I go home now? He watched as the paramedics loaded the body into the back of the ambulance, zipped into a bag. I feel sick. Yeah, Eli replied. You can go home. Russ ambled off toward the motel. Eli and Cord stood in silence for a long time, watching each other. Sometimes you really piss me off, Cord said at long last. Eli grinned, but it was reflexive, entirely lacking humor. Is that supposed to be news to me? I've pissed you off plenty of times, and I'll do it plenty of times in the future. He stopped, sighed. I'm just doing my job, Cord. You know that. Russ found the body, and there might be a family connection. That means I have to check him out. Cord looked mildly chagrined. I know, but I was here, Eli. I saw Russ's reaction. He screamed like a little girl, and then he threw up in the bushes. Where were you at the time? Cord put a hand to his chest in mock cooperation. When Russ barfed or when he found the body... He didn't wait for an answer, and he remained in smart-ass mode. Well, Sheriff, I was on the other side of the lot, making sure I had my story straight, hiding evidence. When I'm not training horses, loving my smart, beautiful wife, or grounding my impetus daughter for sneaking out to meet your nephew in the middle of the night, I like to plan my next murder. Let's make it personal there. Dude, doesn't yeah. that sound like someone who murdered? Sounds like a murderer. Give me that swab. Here's Eli. Okay, butthole, I get your point. <laughs> Yes. I love you, Eli. <laughs> Here's mine. I needed to know how Russ acted when he found that poor girl lying there with a bullet in her throat, throat and you told me. A beat passed and Eli started to walk away, paused, looked back and said, keep Carly close to home for a while. Something's up with Eric. He got a threat from Freddie Lansing last night during the shindig at Bailey's and I'm taking steps to make sure the little bastard doesn't follow through on it. I don't want Carly caught in the crossfire. Cord's expression turned dead solemn. You can't just say something like that and then walk away, Eli. If my daughter is in danger, I need to know the details. And you will soon, very soon, but not now. Damn. That's when Mike Fix would have come after him with a thermos. (laughs) (laughs) If someone was like, hey, Kristen might be in danger. Keep her close to home. Bye. (laughs) My dad would have attacked that person. (laughs) With a thermos. Stanley. (laughs) Stanley. In case you haven't noticed, I'm up to my ass and alligators at the moment. Nothing like a dead body to throw a wrench in the works. All true. It would be a long, long day. Almost as long as Eli's gigantic penis. (laughs) Linda, why'd you put that in there? Melba was waiting when Eli returned to the spot where the young woman had been killed. Everyone else was gone. 
What's the plan? She asked, though she knew, of course. Eli might have replied, the usual. An autopsy, meetings with other jurisdictions to hammer out who would handle what, interviews with Russ Schaefer and anybody else with even a remote connection to the dead girl. First thing, we ordered DNA tests. If there's a match, we'll at least have something to go on as far as identifying the girl. You and the rest of the team can ask around, show pictures, see if anybody recognize her, recognizes her. I can't peg her as a local, but that doesn't mean she isn't. People come and go all the time, like they do any other place. That will take time. The DNA thing, I mean. Sometimes Melba in her thoroughness could be pedantic. <laughs> oh, Melba, oh, you Melba. pedantic lady. I don't even know what that means. I don't either. Okay, I perfect. Gonna, I was hoping you are going to tell me. If you guys are listening, please tell us what pedantic means. DNA tests always took time because every lab in the country, oh, I guess they address it. It's been so long since I've read this that I didn't fucking remember that they addressed this. Oh, God. <laughs> every DNA lab was perpetually backed up. Sad commentary on the state of the nation and Eli's opinion. Yes, Eli replied evenly. So the sooner we get the swabs, the better. Gee, so we jumped the gun way too fast. I Love feel it. like I was not jumping any gun. You didn't know this information. I just read this information like six months ago. <laughs> I feel like we should be in true crime. Um, you remember Beth Ann Schaefer, Melba asked, ignoring his statement as they approached their vehicles. Hers was a cruiser, his the SUV. She was older, so I didn't know her very well, but it was pretty clear that she and Russ and Shally had it rough at home. Shally was a foster child, wasn't she? Yes, Eli replied. Then he smiled at the memory of Shally as a kid. A dichotomy Shally? Shally. A dichotomy of a girl. Rough and tough, soft and pretty. Once, when Russ had been bullying her, she'd broken his nose with a well-aimed right hook. Might be a good thing if you go and talk to Shally. See if she's been in contact with Beth Ann over the years. If she has, she'll know if the, that girl could be Beth Ann's daughter. She's a little old for a runaway, but then again, she might have been on her own for a long time. He thought of Carly, a 17-year-old kid on the run, risking her life at every turn as she hitched her way across the country, carrying everything she possessed in a shabby backpack, looking for her dad, hoping to find a home and a family. A chilly ache formed in his guts. That dead girl could have been Carly, or Haley, or one of Melba and Dan's spirited, beautiful daughters. His fingers curled into fists and inevitably an image of Freddie Lansing formed in his mind. Was Lansing capable of a crime of that magnitude? Almost certainly. Was there a connection? A motive? Maybe. Guys like Freddie probably didn't need much of a motive. They tended to be narcissistic, easily offended, whether the slight was real or imagined. Figuratively, and sometimes literally, they shot first and asked questions later. Or never asked questions at all. Slow down, Eli told himself silently. He was on treacherous ground here, making a case against Lansing simply because he wanted a case against him. Any case. A completely human reaction? Yes. In line with his personal values? No. Eli was composed of flesh and blood, and when his family or friends were threatened, a peer and ferocious rage rose within him, bounding at... Oh my God. Please let me start that over. A pure and ferocious rage rose within him, pounding at his rib cage in the back of his throat, fighting, clawing to be released. As a responsible citizen of Earth, oh, <laughs> Linda, a responsible citizen of Earth, let alone a man sworn to uphold the law to the letter, Eli resisted the part of himself with all his might. 
Why? Because his honor, his integrity, and his dogged pursuit of justice were entwined with his deepest, truest self. And he knew that if he wasn't careful, he might become a person he didn't want to be. In short, if he wanted to live in his own skin with any degree of comfort, he couldn't knowingly, knowingly break the law. All the way back to town and his office, where the lot was crowded with rigs from varying various jurisdictions, Eli thought about that dead girl. Whoever she'd been in life, whatever she'd done or failed to do, she hadn't deserved to die the way she had. I just, sorry, I'm kind of giggling because it's like, and then Eli was just thinking about that dead bitch over there. That dead girl. <laughs> that, that, dead girl. girl. that dead girl. Can I see that dead girl? Can I poke her with my spit? Oh, Linda, we're sorry. Sorry, that's kind of inappropriate. As he parked, his watch, rather than his phone, indicated an incoming text. He braced himself for a shot of Freddie Lansing's hate speech as he walked across the parking lot, heading for the office. Instead, the message was from Sarah. Dan Summers agreed to provide security, and he's moving into my house today. Eric is holed up in his room with Festus, saying he's going to be a laughingstock going to school with a bodyguard. Eli smiled at that, pulled out his phone to text back. No one was, no way was he going to attempt a reasonable response on the Lilliputian keyboard the watch offered. I'll stop by when I can, he wrote. Tell Eric I said to chill. Very busy at the moment. Sarah's reply was nearly instantaneous. We heard the sirens. Towns buzzing with speculation. What's up? Eli opened the office door, stepped into the lobby. As if I tell you in a text. I'm busy, Sarah. Later. Oh. That sounds like a text you would send your sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Did Freddie Lansing Later. do did Freddie Lansing do something? Is he in jail? I ran into his mother when I went to the store for groceries half an hour ago and she looked at me as though I'd just run over her puppy. Sarah, stop. Later. <laughs> okay, Dudley, have it your way, but you're gonna have to explain eventually. Goodbye. Eli? Question mark. He put his phone away without replying. Inside, inside, Connie Sue Hildebrand, the day receptionist and dispatcher, was fielding calls with grim efficiency. No, the sheriff was not available for comment. No, she could not personally make any official statement. Fortunately, the news crews from larger cities in Montana had yet to arrive, but they were on their way for sure. And when they arrived, they would stir the present shit show to a whole new level. Eli sighed and shoved a hand through his hair. He looked around for Melba, remembered she'd gone to question Shally Hollister about Russ's sister, Beth Ann. Five minutes later, the cop convention had gathered in the department's small meeting room. It was standing room only. The discussion that followed raised a great many questions and very few answers. The municipals wanted Russ picked up for interrogation, and so did the state people. The coroner's assistant, a fierce assistant, a fiercely intelligent young Asian man named Sam Wu. Time out. <laughs> Linda. <laughs> I love you, girl. But she never says a fiercely independent white man. She describes everyone in this town as black. Asian, Mexican, but she never describes when they're Caucasian. Well, because there's not. We just assume to, they're all Caucasian. Because you just have to say like, yeah, well, Roy over here like, playing with his wiener. It's like, yep, he's white. You think a guy named Sam just is not doesn't sound white? Oh no, I was just gonna say Roy playing with his wiener. I know. I'm just saying that. Like, oh yeah, no, I know. I know what you're saying. I'm just trying to make it. Let's funny. just also describe people. Just also, uh, also the Asian man's name is Sam Wu. <laughs> so she's like Asian last name, Asian last name. Woo. 
stated that the autopsy was underway and he would report on the results as soon as the coroner, Alec Storm, a retired GP, had finished his assessment of the victim's condition. Condition, Eli thought grimly. She was dead. That was the victim's condition. It took until noon to settle what could be settled, and then finally the crowd dispersed and Eli could breathe again. Until the first media van pulled into the lot, that is. As he'd predicted, the whole cluster grew into an instant crap circus, complete with flying monkeys. <laughs> Connie, a sweet-faced woman in her mid-40s, kept them at bay for a while. Eli left the department to check in with Doc Storm. Sam Wu's promise aside, no information had been forthcoming from the town's ill-equipped little morgue. Conveniently located in the basement of the Sweet Rest Funeral Home, the media vans followed Eli. Reporters hounded him as soon as he stepped out of the SUV, and he waved them off, ducked his head, and burrowed his way to the main entrance, where Sam Wu waited to admit him, then relocked the door. Why does he have to say Sam Wu every time? Can't you just say Sam? Sorry, I'm sidetracked. It's okay. I am too. I'm very sidetracked by how we have to name all the people of color by their full name every time. (laughs) Oddly, given the circumstances, he thought of Bryn. Oh, Bryn. Had it really only been last night that he'd kissed her? That everything in his world had been made right during those electric moments when their lips were joined and their tongues sparred? Yes, it had. And before that kiss, he'd confronted the Lansings and damn near been torn to shreds by their dogs. Now it was the first day of a brand new year, a holiday for most people. Anything but for Eli and his deputies, not to mention Doc Storm and Sam Wu. It seemed impossible that so much could happen in such a short time. And Eli wondered with a touch of sadness when he'd get a chance to breathe again. When he'd get to see Bryn again, simply be in her presence, never mind when he'd get to kiss her again. Take her on a real date somewhere fancy like she deserved instead of just a snowmobile ride. He realized he was starting to feel sorry for himself and that wouldn't do. He was the sheriff of wild horse County. A young woman, a Jane Doe had been murdered and the ball was in his court, whether he liked it or not. Bryn hadn't wanted to impose. It was a holiday after all, but after the restaurant had been restored to order and she found herself with nothing to do, or at least nothing that she wanted to do. The worry she felt simply grew too great to bear alone. Oh, she was over it. (laughs) And on. (laughs) She called Sarah, asked if it would be all right to stop in. Sarah told her to come right over. She was preparing a New Year's Day dinner of standing rib roast. It's a standing rib roast. No idea. It's not like when you hit a possum. (laughs) Because they stand up. They're like... No, we need more possums in this world. No, but you know what I mean. Like that was immediately what I was thinking. I don't know why. I think it's how it's cooked. Oh, okay, maybe. Well, I was also thinking. I was like, for New Year's this year, we should make feast. New Year's feast. Yeah, I think we were like, I've I've traditionally been pretty hungover on New Year's or working, so I feel like this year we should do a standing rib roast in honor of this story and all the appropriate trimmings. Because that's what Sarah made. I've got some time in my yard. And and Sage. Mm -hmm. And she'd like someone to talk to since Haley and Eric were in the living room playing video games with Dan Summers. Join us, Sarah said. I'm hoping Eli will be able to fit us in at some point. But you know how it is with his job and all hell breaking loose. Bryn wondered with a whisper of shame if Sarah knew how much her friend was hoping for even a glimpse of Eli for the smallest indication that he was all right. What shall I bring? 
Yourself and a few bottles of white wine, Sarah answered. Eli's bringing the red, if he remembers, she paused, sighed with benign resignation. If indeed he shows up at all. A smile blossomed in Sarah's voice. What am I saying? Eli will be here at some point because we have his dog. Bryn laughed, though her throat was tight to the point of aching. Thank you, Sarah, for letting me intrude. You are not intruding, Bryn. Get over here as quickly as you can and don't bother to dress up. I'm in sweatpants and an ancient t-shirt. My kind of dress code, Bryn replied, though, of course, it wasn't. Her public image had always been the pretty girl who wore the best clothes she could afford. Even her jeans were expensive. Bottom line, she was overcautious sometimes, hesitant to trust. Clay, the only man she'd ever been truly intimate with, had accused her of withholding the sacred, secret parts of herself from him. Vagina. I was going to say her butt. <laughs> because I'm like, I thought they were the secret intimate. garden. Yeah. It's like, wait, what else is more secret? Mouth hole. Her vagina holes. But like, I was like, it must be her booty hole. I don't we'll know. see. We'll see. Because I thought Clay and her got down. I don't know. Did they? I thought they did. Maybe I can't remember. Didn't. It's been too long. It's been a while. Screw you, Clay, she thought. <laughs> I thought you were saying that. I was like, yeah. Screw you, Clay. Bye, Clay. Remembering the inappropriate text he'd sent? You had access to my body, but you couldn't be trusted with my soul, and you proved that. Feeling a little better, Bryn washed her face, combed her hair, and applied a touch of lip gloss. Then she spooned celebratory tuna into Waldo's dish and left him to enjoy his feast alone. Downstairs behind the bar, Bryn opened the cooler and took out two bottles of high-grade Pinot Grigio (laughs) and two of name brand champagne. What is a name brand champagne? I was like, what is name brand? Are there not? There is no way in Painted Pony Creek she is getting anything but Cooks or Andre. This is true. It's name brand though. She placed these in a box and carried them out back to the car. Bryn drove a kit car, a careful recreation of a 1954 MG Roadster, totally impractical in a rural Montana town, but she didn't care. She loved that bright red Roadster, if only because it belied her proper to the point of untouchable image, another idea of Clay's. He'd actually called her that in the heat of their last argument, untouchable. That had been his excuse for cheating with his ex-wife, and it had been pure bullshit. She opened the small trunk and placed the box of wine inside, slammed the lid. Wait, hold on. I like to think just because it's a small town and you said she placed the box of wine into the trunk. I like to think that it's a box of wine of like fancy. Oh, like a couple like of a like high-end Pinot Grigio. A, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what she described. Four. Two boxes of, two boda boxes of Pinot Grigio. Perfect. That's all I was, I just had Also, it was an M. Maybe you don't know this. An MG, like a little two-door roadster, is the trunk up front? I don't know, actually. Is it still called a trunk if it's in the front? It's a boot. The boot. I think it's a boot. Okay. Um, also, should you be driving that in the ice? That's what I'm thinking. Like, this entire thing is about how he had to have a giant SUV. Yeah. And then she's just like, oh, the roadster, because I'm untouchable from Boston. Yeah, no, you should park that in the garage and bring that out in May. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Then, with the furious motions of one arm, Bryn cleared the windshield of her car, loving it more than ever. It was fast and it was beautiful. It was also a middle finger to Clay and to anyone else who judged Bryn on the basis of her appearance and her quiet personality. 
A strange, violent joy possessed Bryn as she slipped into the driver's seat, extracted her keys from her purse, and turned the ignition. The engine, too big for such a small vehicle, gave a satisfactory roar. She backed out of her short driveway. She has a driveway at this apartment? Not real. Careful not to overturn the garbage cans placed at the curb by her cleanup crew and pointed herself in the direction of Sarah's house. Minutes later, she pulled into the wide circular driveway of a modest but beautiful brick house with an old-fashioned porch and white shutters at the many windows. Given Sarah's success as Luke Cantrell, creator of Elliot Starr, a Clint Eastwood-style lawman and, and seeker of justice, the casual observer might have wondered at the relatively small size of the place. Bryn knew, as did Sarah's other friends, that the simplicity of that house was a reflection of Sarah's nature. She lived well, but possessions weren't that important to her. She valued her children, her brother, her friends. She wrote because she was a born storyteller, and she confided to Bryn more than once that she sometimes felt a little guilty being paid so well for something she would have done for free. Sarah, by her own admission, had been making up stories since the age of 10, at first to create refuges for herself, imaginary places where life was kinder and far more interesting, then because she'd grown to love writing so much that she couldn't stop. Stories followed her, haunting her, demanding to be told. Bryn got out of her car and went around behind it to collect the wine. So the boots in the back. Dan Summers burst out of the front door, startling her, beaming that infectious smile of his. Let me get that, he said. You go on inside where it's nice and warm. Sarah's waiting for you in the kitchen. He's going to steal her car. He's like, later, bitch. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Fuck you and fuck Melba. I'm out. (laughs) Bryn laughed. Well, happy new year. New year to you too, Dan. The grin broadened. Hurry up, he said. Eric's been handing me my ass at World of Warcraft for an hour. I need to get back in there and try to save my honor as a man. I'm hurrying, Bryn answered, smiling. Halfway up the walk, she turned and called over one shoulder. Are Melba and the girls joining us? Instantly, the grin was gone from Dan's handsome face. She's busy, he said, and the girls are with their grandmother. The sadness Bryn saw in Dan Summers was as big as the man himself maybe bigger. Bryn wanted to reassure him, but she wouldn't have known what to say. Melba was a police officer, a deputy sheriff, and whatever was going on in the creek at that moment, she'd be in the thick of it. Totally absorbed, totally committed, just like Eli. less intrigued about who the dead girl is but more intrigued of why she described me as the dead girl oh it's coming oh god you'll understand it soon